Welcome, I'm Pastor Abraham, and I want to thank you for tuning in to Sun Valley Podcast. You can check out our church on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for worship thoughts, devotionals, and the latest events happening at our church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Good morning. Welcome to Sun Valley. We believe in growing faith and building community and in the hope of Jesus. We are continuing our series today called The Greatest Story, The Unexpected Narrative of Jesus. And and through this series, we're journeying through some of the major and minor stories and writings of the Bible. And and as we're, we're discovering this from Genesis to Revelation, we're uncovering this beautiful, merciful, and radical, inclusive love of Jesus. This week we're in the book of Psalms, and today we're looking at Psalm chapter 42 and a a part of Psalm chapter 46. The book of the Psalms is the largest book of the Bible, which spans some 150 chapters or 150 poems and Psalms. The Psalms contains both the longest chapter in the Bible, this is chapter 119, which contains 176 verses, and the Bible's shortest chapter, which, which is chapter 117, which has only two verses. Now, we're not going to be going through each individual psalm as, as, as it would take us quite a long time to go through it on Saturdays, but we are going through a few more of the psalms than we're able to hear uh, during our sermon, during our service time, uh, on, on Facebook Live at 12 p.m. So if you're wanting to dive into a couple of more or a couple more of the psalms, uh, you can join us Monday through Friday at 12 p.m. We'll be going into, into depth with some of the psalms that we won't be covering on Saturdays, and we're going to be looking at the promises that the psalms have in the hope that we find in these psalms. So if you want to join us live at 12 p.m. on Facebook, you can, you can find us at facebook.com backslash Sun Valley Fellowship. But don't worry, if you can't join us live at 12 p.m., our video is also archived. So right after it's live, you can watch it whenever you want on Facebook. Or if you're like me and you prefer to, to listen to something as opposed to watching it, you want to, maybe you want to listen to it on podcasts as you wash the dishes or do the laundry or do some yard work or drive around or whatever you're doing, our podcasts available, are available also on Spotify and iTunes on Google Podcasts and wherever else you might listen to podcasts. We want to invite you to join us during that journey through the Psalms through our podcasts. And also our sermons are going to be available on on the day after as well on podcasts. If you want to listen to it again, you can. Before we jump into our psalms today, uh, we need a little bit, a bit, bit of background that might help us understand this psalm, Psalm 42, just a little bit better. See, the psalms are, are written by a variety of different authors. Many of these authors are unknown. We don't know who the authors are. And many of the time periods, too, of the psalms are unknown. We don't know when exactly they were written. And David and, and Solomon are among the largest contributors to the psalm, David being the foremost contributor. But this book of poetry spans a couple of centuries, with some psalms being written long after the reigns of the Israelite kings. Psalm 42 and 46, along with eight other psalms, are, 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 have this annotation that begins, uh, and you might read it in your Bible in chapter 42 before verse 1, it usually says this, it says, For the director of music, a maskil, which is a word we assume is a musical term, of the sons of Korah. So for the director of music, a maskil of the sons of Korah. So 10, 10 of the Psalms in the book of the Psalms, we presume were written by the sons or descendants 
of Korah. And I say descendants because the Hebrew word for sons of isn't restricted to immediate sons. It isn't restricted to immediate lineage, but it it could mean any person who is a descendant of such and such a person. So when it says the sons of Korah, it could be directly his sons, his actual children, or it could be someone descended down from the line of Korah. And then you might be asking, who was Korah? Why is this important? Well, Korah, uh, the person that it refers to is a descendant of Levi, who served alongside Moses and Aaron when they left Egypt. In fact, he was one of the first cousins of, of uh, Moses and Aaron. He was, he was their first cousin. But unfortunately, Korah is famous not because of worship, not because of psalms. His sons are famous for psalms. But unfortunately, Korah is infamous, rather, because he sided with Dathan and Abiram when they called into question the authority of both Moses and Aaron and challenged God's authority in the lineage of high priests. So for whatever reason, we don't really know, Korah, who was a Levite priest, was maybe dissatisfied with his position or was dissatisfied with his role or the level of authority that he was given, and he wanted to take a higher position. And in the story of Numbers chapter 16, we won't be reading that today, but in the story of Numbers chapter 16, it tells us that the earth cracks open and it swallows the leaders, Dathan, Abiram, and Korah, for the rebellion that they had started against both God and Moses. So Korah's sons, or Korah's descendants, were also Levites, and and his direct sons may have either been too young to be held responsible for their father's rebellion, or they could have been old enough to have made a stand against their father and chosen to follow God instead of rebelling against Moses and God. In any case, Korah's descendants, we find, are faithful to the service of both God and the temple. And we find later in the story of the kings and in Samuel that they served David and the temple during the reconstruction period and after the exile. So not only did they serve David during that time where they were building the temple and Solomon during the time they were building the temple, but they also served the temple services when they were rebuilding it after the exile in Babylon, long after David was gone. And the descendants of Korah, they serve as doorkeepers for the temple in Jerusalem. And some of them served as soldiers for King David. And three of their sons went on to become great musical masters. So today's psalm is written by a Levite of the line of Korah. His time period is unknown, but possibly written during the exile when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. So potentially sometime when they were in Babylon, either during the process of rebuilding or before that. And we'll find that throughout the verse that this kind of leads us to this conclusion, or at least myself to this conclusion. But we're diving into today's psalm, Psalm chapter 42. Psalm 42. Some of you might be familiar with the the beginning of this psalm. We'll read it. It should be available for you there with the NIV, New International Version. And it says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. You see, the psalmist has been far from the house of God. And he hasn't had the opportunity to praise in God's temple. Possibly, this might be because they are living in exile. It's it's potential that because the temple is destroyed, that he's writing this psalm in longing to be able to worship there again. But he feels like there is something missing in his life. And he compares himself to the, in the intro of this song, by calling himself like a deer. He, he, He assigns himself that kind of simile. He says, I am like a deer 
that is panting for streams of water. He says that his soul longs for God the way that an animal longs for flowing streams of water. He wants to go and meet with God, but is unable to come into God's house. That's what he says. And the psalmist says that this longing for God is, is an ingrained need. It is a visceral longing to worship God and to be in the presence of God. It's not, it's not a preference. It's not a choice that the psalmist is making. He's writing this psalm and he's saying this worship, this being in the presence of God, this praising God, it is crucial. It, and it is as crucial to my life as water is to any animal. So here's our first lesson for today. Our first lesson is this. Praise is a need. You see, praise isn't something you do just because the calendar reads a certain day of the week. Did you hear that? Praise isn't something you do just because the calendar reads a certain day of the week. Praise isn't something you do just between the hours of 11 and 12 p.m. or whenever your church service might be. Praise needs to be a longing. It needs to become in our lives a necessity like air or water or food. The psalmist feels this desperate longing to worship, and he feels that he can't because he's far from the temple in Jerusalem. He's missing being able to congregate together at the temple. I'm sure, of us, I'm sure that most of us might be starting to feel like this. Or you might be starting to feel like the psalmist. We're missing being able to congregate together at church and worship together. But, but even if we can't be together physically, even if we can't come together once a week for an hour or so, that doesn't mean that our praise stops. You see, for us, worship doesn't have to be constrained to the walls of a temple or a church anymore. You see, in the New Testament, we find that Jesus takes on the role of the temple and Jesus becomes the new dwelling place of God. You see, the personhood of Jesus, who Jesus is, becomes the place where God's fullness, his entirety, everything about him and his spirit dwells. Jesus takes on the fullness of God. So that means that worship happens anytime and any place that Jesus is. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus is wherever you welcome him. Jesus is always with you, so praise happens anywhere, and not just any time, but always. You worship wherever you are. You are praising right now as you are welcoming God's Spirit into your presence. That is your praise. You see, praise doesn't just have to be singing to music or listening to music or, or listening to a sermon. You see, to praise is to honor God, pouring out your heart in anger, pouring out your heart in frustration, in sadness, in lament, in joy, in whatever emotion you're experiencing. That is praise. Praise is connecting with God and giving him honor by making him the most important relationship in your life. See, praise is connecting with God every day and every hour, every minute and every second. Praise is being in the presence of God and living in honor of his sacrifice by loving him and loving others. See, praise can't just be a matter of convenience. Praise can't just be a matter of appointment or service. Praise can't just be a matter of circumstances. We are created intrinsically with a need for God. You see, God is a need. Relationship with Jesus is a need. Worship is a need. And so praise is a need. So Psalm 42, verse 5, we keep reading. It says, why 
My soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He says in verse 6, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the lands of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls out to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By, the day, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, the psalmist expresses this, this anguish of his soul. The psalmist begins to express that people around him are taunting him and they're asking in ridicule, where is your God? It would appear that the nation of Israel as a whole has experienced some sort of defeat that would lead others to believe that their God or the God of Israel has either abandoned them or has been defeated in some way. That's the expression that the psalmist is feeling. And he feels like he's battered back and forth by the waves, like crashing waves, he says. He feels abandoned and forgotten. He says, my God, my rock, my savior, why have you abandoned me? But what's the psalmist's response to feeling abandoned and forgotten? You see, the entire portion of the lament, this is a psalm of lament. There's a portion of lament here in this psalm. But the entire portion of lament, the expression of frustration and sorrow and sadness is framed by the repetition of the same lines. Find repetition in the psalms because that's something important. You see, this portion of lament is framed by verse 5 and verse 11. Verse 5 and verse 11 says the same thing. This is the sandwich. The lament is sandwiched between two phrases, between two verses that are the same. Verses 5 and 11. Verses 5 and 11 says this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then even verse 6 says, my soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. You see, the psalmist's response to feeling abandoned and lost and depressed, because that's what the Hebrew word downcast means. It means depressed or sunken. The psalmist's response to feeling that way is to remember God. His response to feeling downcast is to praise God. He says, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. He says that twice in verse 5 and verse 11. And so here's our second lesson for today. Our second lesson is praise is our hope. Praise is our hope. You see, the psalmist finds that he has to remind himself to praise, to put his hope and his trust in God, his Savior. You see, his experiences, his current situation, they darken his outlook. They have his heart feeling sunken and depressed, but he reminds himself to trust in God because the Lord, he says, the Lord has been good to me, even if my present circumstances haven't been good to me. That's what the psalmist says. You see, hope can be a hard thing to find, especially in our darkest moments, but the psalmist reminds himself to put his hope in God, and then he resolves to praise God. Why? Because praise is our hope. You see, our hope is rooted in and grows through praise. I want to share with you something that came to mind 
this week as I've been reading the different psalms of praise. This is something that's completely changed the way that, that, I view, that I viewed praise in the past, and, and I hope it's just as mind-blowing to you as it was to me. But a few weeks ago, we saw in Psalms 13, this was a psalm of lament, that our praise isn't just tied to what we experience, if you remember that. We said that praise isn't tied to what we experience, but rather who we experience, right? So it's not about our circumstances, it's about the goodness of God. But praise takes that another step further. It takes this notion of step further. You see, we praise not just based on what and who I experience, but on what and who we experience. See, let me elaborate on this because I hope this is as game-changing to you as it's been to me. When you read through a large portion of the Psalms and all these other prophetic writings, you'll see the current generation in Israel is praising God for what he has done in the past for what he has done for past generations, even while the current generation is in exile and slavery. So you have the people in Babylon, you have the people in Assyria, you have the people under the the Roman and the Greek empires. All these people are praising God for the freedom that the people of the past, that the people in Egypt had experienced. They praise God for the deliverance they experienced from the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Amorites and all these other ites that that they fought in the land of Canaan. They praise God for all those things back then even while right now they are in exile. You see, the people that died in slavery in Egypt, the people that died in exile in Babylon, they still praised God, even though they never saw salvation themselves. You see, to, to ancient Israel, to God's people, and so to us today, God's goodness is not just defined by our individual experience, but rather it is tied to the experience of the community as a whole, both past and present. So you see, I, individually as a person by myself, may not see the salvation that I'm waiting for, but God's people will. Do you see that? I may not see the salvation that I'm waiting for, but God's people will. Whether it's the people around me, or whether it's my children, or my children's children, or the generation somewhere down the road, someone will see God's salvation. And we read in the Bible that centuries pass, but the people of Israel, they still praise God, they still praise Yahweh for the deliverance that the people in Egypt experienced while they were still in their own form of captivity in Babylon. You see, the people in Babylon, they were enslaved, they were in captivity, they were far from their home, but they still sung hallelujah, for the fact that the people generations ago, people long dead, were freed from Egypt. You know what hallelujah means? Hallelujah means praise Yah. It means praise the Lord. Hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. They sing hallelujah. They say praise the Lord for the deliverance that someone else experienced centuries ago. You see, the stories of the past may not be often the source of inspiration, or the the stories of the past, sorry, may often be our source of inspiration, but rarely are they our source of praise. When was the last time that you genuinely praised God like the Israelites, who praised God for victories they hadn't experienced, for a deliverance that happened centuries ago by generations long dead? When was the last time? 
I'm sure you've read those stories much like myself. I'm sure that we've all read those stories and been like, yeah, God can do that today. But when was the last time that while you were in your own moment of depression, while you were in your own moment of sunkenness, while you were in your own form of slavery, that you're like, praise God that they experienced salvation. Praise God that they experienced freedom. I may not be experiencing it now, but praise God that they did back then. When was the last time that we ever did something like that? But you see, the Israelites do it all the time. They might be in slavery now. They might be in exile now. They might be longing and waiting and hoping for salvation now, but they're still praising hallelujah for the things done long ago. You see, we need to stop tying our worship to only what we as individuals experience. We don't just worship and praise God for the goodness that we experience individually. We praise God for the goodness that we experience collectively as a community, both in the present and in the past. You see, God has is and will do amazing things in your life personally. I believe that. I firmly believe that. But praise is not contingent on your experiences, but rather it's contingent on the experiences as a whole. It's not contingent on your experiences individually, but rather praise happens because of the experiences of the whole. And and it might not be an easy thing to do when you're expecting your own form of salvation. But we can praise God's goodness when we see it manifested in our lives. We can praise God's goodness even if we don't see it in our lifetime. Because we've seen it in countless generations before. We can praise God's goodness because he's been good in the past. That's our reason for praise. There's our hope. You see, praise is our hope. It's that type of praise, the worship for the things that God did long ago for generations past that drives our hope for today. You see, we hope today because God was good to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joshua and the countless other people in the story of the Bible. You see, we hope today because even when all hope was lost, God brought his people out of exile in Babylon and back to Judah to rebuild the temple walls and the walls of Jerusalem. We hope today because despite the death, of thousands upon thousands of martyrs during the various different persecutions throughout history in the past and in the present that God's people have never been wiped out. We hope today because of everything that's come before. You see, we hope today because God has proven himself good, not just to us, not just in our lives, but he's proven himself good over centuries, over multitudes, See, the praise you give, the praise you give for the stories of old gives rise to a hope of things still to come. Did you hear that? The praise you give for the stories of old gives rise to a hope of things still to come. You see, praise is our hope. In our final lesson, we find another psalm of the sons of Korah. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. And the sons of Korah write this, verses 1 to 3, Psalm 46. He says, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. No matter what the psalmist says, we won't be afraid. 
Even if the earth give way, even if the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the sea, even if the waters roar and the, and the mountains quake, they say, we won't fear because God is our refuge and our strength. So this is a psalm of praise. And the psalmist says that no matter what happens, they won't fear. We'll continue praising. Hallelujah, they say. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, they say. So here's our final lesson for today. Our final lesson is this. Praise is persistent. You see, praise happens even during our darkest times. Praise happens even when the earth gives way and the mountains crumble into the sea. Praise is not situational. It's not just about expressing feelings of joy. Praise happens through the feelings of fear, through the feelings of anxiety and anger and frustration, through the feelings of depression and lament. You remember that praise is not about how you feel or what you experience individually, but praise happens in every season and in every hour. Praise happens even when the world is crumbling around you. Praise happens because God has been good to you and to us. You see, praise is persistent. I want to invite the band to come on up as we begin to close. You see, praise is persistent because praise isn't just a luxury or a convenience. Praise is a need. Praise is embedded into every fiber of our being. We praise because our souls feel a deep longing for God that can't be satisfied by anything or anyone else. Praise is the bread of life that our body needs to keep going. Praise is the living water that our souls thirst for. Praise is the very breath we breathe. Praise is persistent because praise is our hope. God is good even if we individually don't see a miracle in our lifetime. God has been consistently good from generation to generation to generation. You see, God's unfailing consistency is of blessing his people time and time and time and time and time again. So we praise today, not always because we see the salvation we expect, but we praise today because God has never failed his people. He has never failed his children. And even if our salvation comes only at the end of days when Jesus Christ return again, God is still good. You see, when our soul is downcast, when our hearts are broken, we praise for the works that God has done for his people both in the past and in the present because this hope of the past is the root for our hopes of tomorrow. The praise you give for the stories of old gives rise to a hope of things still to come. You see, because praise is a need, because praise is our hope, praise then becomes persistent. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, no matter how we might be feeling, we praise. Even if the world gives way and the mountains crumble, even if the seas roar, our hope and our trust lies in God, our rock and our salvation. And we praise through the trials. We praise through the storm. We praise persistently. You see, praise happens because God alone is our strength and our refuge. Praise happens because God alone is our salvation. 
Praise happens because God alone died for our sins on the cross and gives us new life in his resurrection. Praise happens because God alone is our hope. Don't let praise take a backseat to your circumstances. And everything you do every day and every moment, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise the creator God. Praise the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Praise the resurrected King, the loving Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We lift up a hallelujah to God. We lift up our praises to God because he has been 